Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360. Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review our show. I'm your host, William Liu. No Alex Wong today um, because, you know, we have two very, very special interviews that uh, we were able to get to, one of which we recorded on Friday after our episode uh, with Gary Trent Sr., which was still great. If you haven't checked it out, go make sure you check that out. Okay, go check out Gary Trent Sr. anytime he's on the show. Great guest. Um, and then we did another interview on Sunday, going down to practice to uh, to catch up with, uh, you know, the Raptors, as we always do. But, um, yeah, you know, in between that, uh, there was a very annoying game against the Sixers where hopefully we can uh, just move past it by now. It is uh, it, it was one of those inexplicable losses that do lead to you know, some angry reaction podcasts, which I'm sure that other people have also tuned in and, 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 and digested by now. But yeah, hopefully that was just a one-off and we know that that was an uncharacteristic performance with the Raptors. And, uh, you know, they have a big game against Atlanta tonight. Atlanta's pretty tough and it might be even tougher now that Fred is uh, questionable with, uh, you know, lower back problems. But look, we can get to that in a second. But first off, I wanted to get to... Our interview with uh, newly hired Raptors 905 head coach Eric Curry. Uh, the 905 season starts this weekend, so we thought it'd be a great time to chat with Coach Curry. Um, you know, Eric has been in the Raptors organization for almost a decade, and his path to head coaching is really, really unique. And uh, we're going to cover that in this uh, interview. So, without further ado, here is Raptors 905 head coach Eric Curry. All right, joining us on the Raptors show is 905 head coach Eric Corey. Eric, first off, congratulations. I'm sure you heard this from like hundreds of people so far, but I mean, youngest head coach uh, from the Raptors. And of course, you know, you're about to start a whole new season with the 905. So congrats, Eric. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for making time. And listen, I've been um, trying to do a lot of background research on you. Uh, There hasn't been that much published, but there is a great piece by Blake Murphy, which I think everyone who has looked into you, has probably already seen. Um, but you've also done a pair of podcasts, and I thought that uh, one of the podcasts that you that you did uh, with, I believe, your former U of T engineering professor, Chris Yip, that, yeah. that, that chat was uh, incredible. You guys got into so many nitty-gritty things about analytics, and that's kind of where I wanted to start with you in terms of your background. Like, um, how did you get to this position? Uh, yeah, it's I definitely took a different path, I guess, than most. Um, I started as an intern with the Raptors right when I was finishing my master's. Um, Mm. And in my master's, I was using this technology for uh, particle tracking. And the league put in all the player tracking technology. And I mean, very different ones like physics, one's basketball, but the overall technology was very similar. So that's kind of how I made my start. I, uh, I saw that I was really interested in it. So I reached out via Twitter to somebody who was running the or part of the analytics department back then. They were like consulting for the Raptors. Uh, tweets turned into emails, emails turned to coffee, coffee into an internship. And that's kind of how I got started with the Raptors. Um, but that was on the management side, doing analytics. And then I would work with the coaching staff here and there to, to try and provide some support. And I'd say each year I probably worked more and more with the coaching staff until eventually in uh 2017, I joined Coach Casey's staff uh, full-time and then kind of just stuck around since then. Since then, when Coach Nurse took over, I joined his staff, spent a couple years with 905 just in a purely assistant role, no analytics, 
came back to the Raptors in a purely assistant role. And then here I am today, um, back with the 905. Yeah, and listen, we're going to talk a lot more about your analytics portion as well, the background there. Honestly, some of the conversations you were having was just like mind-blowing in terms of the things that you guys were studying and uh, obviously very complex stuff. But uh, let's focus on the coaching aspect first, right? Because I'm curious, like, when did that itch to start coaching sort of begin for you? What did you find rewarding about it? And and for yourself, like, when did you realize that, hey, this is a realistic path for me that for one day I could become a nine to five head coach and, you know, eventually down the line an NBA head coach, you know, hopefully in the future. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. The part that drew me to coaching in the first place is probably one of the, like the parts now that I'm doing it, that I'm is most like a job, you know what I mean? Not the part that I'm most interested in. So back when I was providing support to the coaching staff, I mean, I knew basketball, but I didn't know basketball anywhere near the level of like NBA assistant coach knowing basketball. Sure. Yeah. So they would ask, hey, can you, um, I know you're tracking pick and rolls, but can you track it by how the defense is covering it so that way we can look at different efficiencies? And I was like, okay, like over and under. And they're like, no, 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 like every type, every type of pick and roll coverage. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I don't know what they all are. So I'd sit with the assistant coaches at the time. Uh, There's one coach, uh, Tommy Sterner, who was so oh, valuable TV this Tom. time. Yeah, of course. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And he was like unbelievably kind and he would, any question I had, he would take the time to answer and he would explain all the different coverages. Here's drop coverage, here's switch, here's blitz, here's show, here's corral, whatever. And he would go mm-hmm. on and on and on. And he would explain them all to me. So as I, I mean, to understand it well enough to be able to teach a computer to recognize it, you have to really understand it. So I would spend a lot of time with him. And as I did that, I was like, well, if they're going to drop, why wouldn't you just pop the big? He's like, well, yeah, that's usually the counter. And if they're going to show, why wouldn't you just, and we'd go on and back and forth and mm-hmm. and kind of that chess game of it, of the counters and all that, that's what initially drew me to the coaching side. So as I would kind of write the code to analyze it, I'd also be thinking, what would you do as a counter? And then if they did that, what would you do next? And the back and right. forth, the dance of it really, I found really interesting. So that's what drew me to it in the first place. And then when I finally joined Coach Casey's staff and you see that that's like, I don't know, such a small part of it. Um, that's when you start to realize how much there goes into coaching and how many decisions the coaches have to make nonstop. And that part was really interesting to me. The It's not one decision that who knows if it will paint out the right way. Like you draft a player and, and he turns out to be a star. Was it, well, it was a great development system. Was the player really good? Was it just a great scout and so on? You don't know. But on the coaching side, you're making thousands of decisions every day kind of thing. And you make enough of the right decisions in the long run, things paint out the right way. Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I think that's something that most people wouldn't understand uh, about the coaching, right? Because I think even, you know, on the media side of things, what we look at so much is like the end product, and then we just judge based on the result, right? But of course, yeah. as coaches, you have to look at it as a process-oriented view, and we also focus so much on the tactics, and we look at, well, you know, this play could be run better, or you might want to run this play and that play. But as you mentioned, that that's the tip of the iceberg. Like, so much of coaching is is a people business, understanding how to deal with a lot of young professionals who are trying to make it uh, to their dream, trying to uh, provide for the families, um, y- young players who are obviously trying to learn the game as well and 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 mold. And you're going to get that challenge more than anybody. You know, in, in the G League, it's, 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 I think, maybe even more hectic than being an NBA head coach. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the really important part for anyone in a leadership position or coaching position is I think to understand what all the individual goals are, right? If you don't know what an individual's goals are and you're just trying to make them do something they don't necessarily want to do, there's going to be so much pushback, right? Yeah. You're never going to have any success. If you 
can find our there's 10 G League players and a couple of two ways. You talk to the 12 guys and say, what are your goals? How do you want to get there? And then as a coach and a staff, you try and think, how can I meld these 12 individual goals to what's best for the team and hit off as many of those people's goals as possible? So that way it's everyone's growing together. Everyone's got like working towards something that they think is worth working towards. Then you'll have the most success. If you break it off and just try and dictate what's going to happen, I don't think it's going to work. And if you don't set any goals for anybody and just kind of let everybody do their own individualistic thing, it won't work either. Yeah, you know, that approach you're mentioning there kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Nick Nurse wrote a book, right? Or there's a biography for Nick Nurse. And, you know, he covered sort of his approach um, in the NBA. And a lot of it right now is sort of just like, how do we get you to increase your value, right? Like, what are the skills we need you to do? What's the role that we need to get for you? And sometimes that requires having, you know, difficult conversations. I think in the book, he describes an unnamed former first round pick who came to the Raptors and he said, look, the reason you haven't really clicked in the NBA is because we needed you to do this, this, and this, and you're not really doing these kind of things. So it's all about sort of communicating and getting the players to sort of improve their value. And I think obviously in the G League level, that's got to be, you know, that exact same approach. And, you know, when when you've worked with these coaches, whether it's Coach Casey, whether it's uh, Nick Nurse, whether it's Pat Matumbo, um, what are some of the things that you've taken from the coaches that you've worked under um, so far in your young career? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough, like you said, to work with some great coaches. So Coach Casey, Coach Nurse, uh, Coach Jamma, Coach Pat, like those are four very different coaches who are mm-hmm. all awesome coaches. So you you still, it's no different than when you're scouting an opponent or anything like that. You steal everything you think is going to work. Um, and you just, and that kind of molds your coaching path. So you know what to take. So say Coach Casey, he does an unbelievable job and never getting too high, never getting too low and mm-hmm. keeping a, a steady lens in the, and knowing where the team's at and knowing where the team should be going. I mean, Coach Nurse is one of the most creative minds there is, period. But he's also such a good leader. And, I mean, I was fortunate enough to see him work as an assistant and work with him as an assistant with the Raptors and see him make that transition to head coach. Right. And how he handled that was unbelievable. And it and made a lot of sense. And that's something, having previously been a 905 assistant and now being in the head seat, I saw a lot of how he did that because he did such a great job of it. And, and to see that, among many other things, something I would take from him. Mm-hmm. Coach Jam, I mean, like, there's no better dude, right? So uh, it didn't matter if it's like a snowy Tuesday in the middle of the winter. Yeah. He had a smile on his face and he would always say, what a beautiful sunny day outside. Like we had a team slogan of sunny days. And like there were a lot of not sunny days, but he made them uh-huh. feel like sunny days. And that's something I'm trying to take from him. But I mean, there's that's like trying to take Steph Curry's jump shot. It's probably not going to happen, but hey, at least yeah. you can... You, could you know, you know what the end, you know what the best possible situation is, and he's the best possible. And then Coach Pat was, I mean, he was so good for my development as a coach. He helped me so much, um, and I, I never lost sight of that. And that's something I try and really focus on my coaching staff as well is how to help everybody grow. So, all the, like you said, those are four great coaches. Not to mention all the assistants I've worked with over the years who are awesome as well. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, well, I mean, two things. Number one, it it really sort of like. Um, confirms that feeling of family that the Raptors really from top down, whether it's 905 or the or the big club or anything like that, like there is just this sense of family that the organization take care of each other and guys get jobs um, either, either with the Raptors ideally or even elsewhere, right? We, there's a very proven track record of 905 head coaches moving on, doing great things uh, across the board. And I think, you know, for yourself too, it's just um, – I was I was talking to someone about this where, you know, I was asking like, hey, you know, I want to interview Eric. What should I ask him? And I think he was just like asking about like some of the coaches who have 
taking that route from jumping in first at the analytics portion, but then um, making it as a head coach. Like, and I was trying to think about it myself. Like, who are some other coaches who have taken that sort of approach and then made it to a head coaching position? And and honestly, Eric, I, I think I'm just asking you out of curiosity. Like, do you know other coaches who have had similar paths to you? And and could that somehow inform your roadmap to where you ultimately want to go in your career? Uh, there's some coaches now who... I would say a lot of teams now do have somebody on the bench who is kind of in a dual role, like analytics and coaching. Um, I'm not positive. I don't, I mean, no one in the NBA started in analytics, put it that way. I'm not sure if anyone in the G league started in analytics in the head coaching position either. So you're Uh, a trailblazer then. I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe in other sports, that would be interesting. I'm sure in baseball, there's been a couple of situations like that. I mean, they're so analytics heavy, Uh, but I haven't done my research on that one. So, I mean, is that the end goal for sure? Mm-hmm. But I know I'm not going to say the NBA is a pure meritocracy, but it is pretty good at finding whoever they think is best for the job. Yep. So my goal is just to keep getting better. And if I keep getting better, hopefully it gives me a better chance to do that. Um, but I'm not, that's not like every, I'm not tailoring my day to that. I'm tailoring my day to get better as a coach and, and see where it ends up. Yeah, that's a great approach. And I think um, the other thing, too, is, you know, obviously every interview that gets done with you talks about analytics. And this will be no different, by the way. We will get to that. (laughs) But I think it's also, you know, people on the outside think a little bit too binarily, right? Like, it's not just like you're the numbers guy. You're the workout guy. You're the X's and O's guy. Like, you have to be every guy when you're the head coach, right? And I think that for you, you know, in starting out this challenge, you have – taken a lot of experience so far in your young career like you've seen both sides of it and i think the idea is sort of like you know can the raptors and obviously 905 can they marry those two ideas together and help you sort of translate some of those things um onto the floor but also in in your own personal career development which i think is is really cool i think it shows like a really innovative approach and also at the same time like you know um i'm I'm sure you have shown that you, you have the ability to lead a team and that's why they've given you this position. So, I mean, look, looking ahead to this season, right? Um, the 905, always successful, always a great product. Uh, yeah. Highly recommend people to just check out more games, period. First off, it's much more accessible of a price point yeah. for most families to go see a professional basketball game in the GTA region. It's The energy is great and the product is great. And I'm just curious, Coach, like, what are you most excited about with this roster that you have for this upcoming season and, and sort of what you hope to accomplish? Yeah, it's a super fun team. So it will be, like you said, it's a great atmosphere to watch games. And the gap between some of the NBA guys who might be not getting a ton of minutes and the bench guys and the the top players in the G League is minimal, if not non-existent. Like mm-hmm. there are some really high-level players in the G League. And I think, I mean, let's see once we start playing the games, but I would take our, I would put our team, our roster up against anyone's. It's mm-hmm. a heck of a team this year. So I'm really excited for that. We've got like electric point guard play. We've got great bigs. We've got tons of wings just because we're copying the Raptors style as well. You can, you know, you got to have the wings. Got to so, have at least 15 wings on a team at any time. Exactly. Yeah. So we got a fun squad. And we're, I mean, the goal as a coaching staff, we've talked about it a lot, is to put together a fun style of play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get the most buy-in if players are playing in a structure that's fun to play in as opposed to, a very like drag it out, slow paced offense, something like that. So we're going to have a fun style of play too. So it should be a really fun, fun team to watch and, and a really successful team too. Yeah. And you know, one thing I've always been curious about is like, this is a challenge that I feel like very few 
NBA head coaches will have to face, but for G League head coaches, when the Raptors tell you, like, hey, um, maybe it's the morning of, they're like, hey, uh, we're just going to need Justin Champagne is going to come down for a game, or in this season, Ron Harper Jr. is going to come down with you guys, or Jeff Downs going to come down, or hey, Christian Coloco, he hasn't been playing a lot because the Raptors' bigs are very healthy right now. He's not getting a lot of chances. Maybe we want to get him down to get 30 minutes of run with you guys. How do you prepare for that? Because that's going to happen quite a bit. For sure. Um, and that's something you always got to keep in mind. And we've talked with some of the players already. It can be really frustrating for a G League player at times. Like exactly. You might have just come off the best game of your season. You played 35 minutes. You you know, like your most productive game to date. All of a sudden, the Raptors assigned both two ways and a couple of assignment guys, and now you're playing yeah. spot minutes, right? Like it's... It's tricky. So that's one of the big challenges uh, as a coach and as a coaching staff is to keep everyone happy when it comes to that. But what you have to keep in mind is like this, that's what the the purpose of the 905 is, right? Is mm-hmm. to help the parent club. So in terms of style of play, we know it's super important to keep it spot on with the Raptors. We don't want an assignment guy or a two-way guy having to learn two different playbooks or learn two different defensive philosophies or anything like that. We know it's important to play the same way and we're going to play the same way. So that way mm-hmm. it makes it a seamless transition back and forth. And that way when the two ways come play, the reps are useful for them. They'll come back to the Raptors as a, as a player who can like contribute sooner than had they not come and played with us. So is it a challenge for sure? But it's a good challenge to have. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I think too, is just, it's really important that you mentioned from the player's perspective, right? Because from the G League player's perspective, like, Absolutely. Like there are certain times in life where you not, you won't be the priority. Right. But at the same time, when you function as part of a team, you look for people who can understand how to contribute towards the team goal. Right. And I yeah. think that uh, that's a very important aspect when it comes to player acquisition. And, and you know, I think from the Raptors perspective, I think a lot of fans would probably want to know how much or what is the plan right now for some of the guys in terms of like how much will a guy like Christian Coloco be playing with you guys or how much will be uh, you know Jeff and Ron on the two ways how much time will they be spending with you guys is there a long-term plan for that already in place or is it more like we'll see how the season goes kind of thing for sure I mean there's always a plan but it's always contingent on everything that happens up with right. the parent club right, right. so uh, I think coach nurse last week or a couple of weeks ago had mentioned that it would be good for Christian to get 30 yeah. minutes, 35 minutes of run every once in a while, just to get out, stretch his legs kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so if it makes sense where both teams are in town and they have an off day and we're playing, then yeah, of course, I'm sure they'd prefer Christian to come get some run. Um, but is at the same time, a lot of that's contingent on, you don't want to get him playing too many minutes back and forth and back and forth and, and really tire him out. So mm-hmm. it all depends on the health of the big club and the rotations and all that jazz. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, as for the two ways, I mean, you can see it in the roster. They're both at positions that have a lot of players already on the team, right? Right. Um, there's quite a few point guards, and, and especially if you're like the way Pascal's playing and Scotty's playing, where they can have the ball in their hands, that they're point guards at the end of the day, right? So, yeah. um, and then we already joked about the number of wings, but there's <laughs> a fair amount of wings. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's, I'm sure there's a bit, I mean, there is a big plan for it. 100% mm-hmm. there is a big plan. Uh, it's all about where they get the best development. So I think hopefully a bit of time with 905 and a bit of time with the Raptors. Yeah, and, and we've seen that formula work really well. Like I mean, last season, I remember there were games or weeks where Delano would 
have like a back to back to back to back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like go to Mississauga, go to practice, go to the Raptors practice, go to the Raptor game, you know, and it was like sometimes they play. I think one, one time it was like, I don't know if I played at 11. And yeah. I think he played again at seven. So, you know, like, it, but it's good though for young guys. I'm sure they love that opportunity, right? Get as many reps in as possible, get the minutes, um, get an opportunity to showcase what you can do. And, you know, those are all data points that the the coaching staff will eventually take into their decision-making when they ultimately choose in terms of who they play and sort of like, you know, the front office of who they end up paying at the end of the day. And, you know, you know, I was thinking more about your path and, 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 you know, obviously going into the league through the analytics portion. I, I feel like most people who come in the league through analytics like, end up in the front office. So yeah. I'm curious, like, why is why did you walk away from that route? Or at least not walk away, but, you know, obviously you're in coaching right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a back when I did it, I was single and no kids, and now I'm married with three kids. So okay. knowing, what, knowing what I know, maybe it would have been better to stay in management. Coaching uh-huh. lifestyle is a bit tough. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, the joke I always make with the front office when they ask me that is like, you guys don't do anything. You know, like three times a year, you like, okay. you, you decide like, <laughs> three, okay, who are we going to draft? Who are we going to sign? And who are we going to trade? And that's all you do all year. It's like, come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, nothing, I don't know. They, and I'm sure they, they like, they make fun of me back, but it's, it's yeah. like a joke. Of course mm-hmm. they work yeah, their tails off to know who to draft, know who to sign and know who to trade. But uh, I don't know. I found it more interesting being with the team day to day, making all the decisions, like making all the decisions that go into it. The mm-hmm. strategy part was so interesting to me. The relationship side is so interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I think that's why I decided to go coaching over, over management. No, that's great. I can't wait to tell Bobby you said that. Um, oh, I've told Bobby. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, no, it's not fair enough. And I think that, that, you know, obviously the hands-on approach is um, definitely more engaging, more challenging. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's also a, a cool new experience for yourself as well. You know, okay. So we, we tease analytics thing. We kind of have to get to it. So I was, again, like I mentioned, if you want, if you're like an engineer, if you're, if you're an engineer of any kind, honestly, if you're just even interested in analytics, you need to go listen to the interview. Uh, Eric Corey, uh, NBA or Raptors head coach, uh, the podcast is called Tell Me More Coffee with Chris Yip. So um, you guys dove into all the coding. Uh, you guys gave a great advertisement for the UFT engineering program. Of course. Um, but no, seriously, I, I think it was such a cool discussion because you guys talked about sort of like where analytics is being used in the NBA in a very granular sense. And I, I, I guess I didn't realize this, but so the SportView cameras being installed in every arena around 2013 that really, really seemed to be a game changer at that time. Like, what was analytics before those cameras were going to put in? And what has that data set introduced to the NBA since? Yeah, so the year I was an intern, there were six teams, I want to say, that had the data source. Yeah, uh, The Raptors being one of them, which was super lucky that I happened to be in the city that, yeah. that was doing it, or else I wouldn't have had this job or anything like that. So... They were one of the few teams. So you would get data from all the six arenas where they had film. Um, but then soon after, they put it in all 30 arenas, which was a huge difference maker, right? But before that, most of the the work was done just by play-by-play data. So yeah. it's pretty different. Um, so the box score probably has, I don't know, about like 100 data points, right? Sure. 10 players and 10 stats for whatever, something like that. The play-by-play amped that up a bunch. So... Now we're talking thousands of data points. And then Sport View jumped it up to each game has almost a million data points, like 48 okay. minutes a game, yeah. 25 
location snapshots a second for the 10 players in the ball kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So now, you, now you're pushing like a million. So you can obviously do way more insights once you get the sport view data than you could the play-by-play -play data, which is even more than the box score data. Um, so yeah, it's there's definitely jump after jump after jump. And now, I mean, when I first started, like when I left as well, you would only get the location of the player on the court at a specific time. Now they're talking about, instead of just representing the player as a dot, you get kind of like a skeletal pose. So where are their shoulders, where are their elbows, where are their hands, which way are their face, all that jazz. Right. So the amount of data is just going through the roof. So, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, even for for, for, so for myself on the media side, right, I, I remember covering the game and it was like looking at basketball reference, right? Yeah. And you go on basketball reference, you can see the box score data uh, from you know the last like 50 years and it's great and it's useful you can see some of those uh, numbers sort of aggregated into catch-all metrics like per or like bpm or something like that but then you go on nba stats now and you can go through some of the sport view data and i'm sure this is like a small fraction of what's yeah. actually out there right but you can even go through like play type you can see what sort of players are doing on on you know pick and roll ball handler which i gotta say that that has to be really limiting <laughs> as like a data set because like what do you mean pick and roll ball handle? Like, I don't I don't know what happened in that pick and roll for that ball handle to be shooting, you know, 0. 0.92 points per possession. Like, that's such a, it doesn't tell you enough, but at least that's a richer data set than versus something like basketball reference. And I think that that's, that's really cool. And I think that, you know, the, the, the conversation you were having was really cool because I didn't realize that. So for most of the league, like about 20 teams in the league, roughly or so, they just, they hire an independent company to sort of workshop the, the data and, you know, come to their own conclusions or whatever. But the Raptors are actually one of the few shops who do it all in the house. Can you sort of explain what the difference is there and sort of why that is? Yeah. So the, the league will provide, or the company that does all the data will provide you the raw coordinates for every game. So they'll literally give you that um, file after each game. That's got the 25 times a second where everybody was an X, Y coordinate and then an X, Y, and Z coordinate for the ball. So they'll give you all that raw data. And then they can also provide with you, they can process the data themselves and then spit out some insights. So you kind of have the choice. You can use their insights or you can say, look, I just want to take the raw data and I'll parse it through all the code I've written over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, like not me specifically, but like the team's written over the years. Um, and we'll come up with the own insights we want. So if you do it yourself, the benefits are, you, you can analyze whatever you want, right? Anything in the data that you want to look at, you write the code for it and, and out it comes. The drawbacks are you have a team of three or four people working on it compared to a team of 20, 30, 40 engineers working on it at different sure. companies, right? So Keith Boyarski's always been one step ahead of the game. He's he's the VP of I think, strategy and research or something like that's his title. Um, mm. But basically, among other things, he runs the front office and he's done such a great job of keeping ahead of the game and thinking of what are the next steps and, and having a really forward looking approach. So he said, I just want to handle the raw data myself. So I'm not limited by anything. I don't need to ask him. And especially if you ask them, Hey, can you start analyzing uh, closeouts for me? Mm -hmm. Now they're analyzing closeouts for every team who, who they right. um, provide no data advantage. for. Yeah. No advantage. Yeah. So at least now he can look at whatever he wants. So we would write code for it and we would suss out whatever we want to look at. No, that's really clever. And I think it makes sense. And I think, I mean, in the NBA, obviously, millions of dollars are spent all the time, right? But I think just like in most other sports, 
um, you know, analytics have really come in and, and helped gain an advantage. And that's the whole idea, right? In sports, everyone is looking obsessively for every small edge. And I think it's really interesting that even within just the, the world of analytics, people are also looking for the small edges themselves. And those small margins really do add up, you know? And for I think sure. it was really interesting to hear you talk about. So obviously a lot of the analysts get fed to the coaching staff, right? I'm sure like, you know, you describe like coaches want to see like what happens when you blitz the ball handler, you know, or yeah. whatever, right? And specific play types, the outcome, sort of like try to use that data to inform decisions in the future. But at the same time, you also mentioned that, you know, from your experience, like it also really helps in player acquisition. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, is I guess to us in the media, we're looking at it like, oh, the Raptors just signed Otto Porter Jr. Let me open his basketball reference page. Oh, he's a career 40% three-point shooter. Yeah. They clearly need three-point shooter on the team. Great signing, right? But yeah. from the front office perspective, I mean, I, I'm not asking to give away any secrets, nor would you, but like how is something like Sport VU data informing um, player personnel decisions? For sure. So let's use the simplest example of a player who shoots 40% from three, like you just mentioned, yeah. not using auto, just a, a player in yeah. general. Yeah. Let's say you have your cool shot models that you built over the years, right? Using the sport view data. Okay. And so wait, hold on. It, what, what, what goes into the cool shot model? Like, are we talking about like arc of the shot? Are we talking about like the release point? Like uh, Everything, not to be cliche, contest okay. level, movement, location on the floor, all that jazz. Okay. 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 Um, I'm telling you, there's a million data points for every game, 25 times a second. So there's everything, Uh right? uh And let's say the player shoots 40%, but if you look at all his shots, the average player would have shot 45% from three on those shots. So he's actually not really that good a shooter. He just gets great looks Hmm. versus another guy who's only shooting 37%. But if the average player took all his shots, he would only make 33% of his shots. Right. He's a better shooter, right? So that player acquisition stuff, that's where you can use the sport view to to really look at shot quality and how much better or worse are they than the average shooter at shot quality. That's a, it's more representative of their shooting skill than say necessarily just field goal percentage. Eric, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Best of luck with the season, you know, Appreciate take care that. of the, the young guys. And uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting more uh, as the season goes on. For sure. Thanks for having me on. All right. You'll never walk alone. Yeah. All right. That was my interview with Raptors 905 head coach, Eric Corey. Um, didn't get to it because uh, we ran out of time a little bit in terms of the show today. But uh, Eric, a big Liverpool FC fan, you know, we were discussing a, a thrilling 3-0 win over Ajax. And then we did not discuss the recent results in Premier League. Uh, yeah, it's, it's too too heartbreaking to discuss. But in any case, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun to follow 905 this season. Um, you're going to have a lot of names that you're probably going to be familiar with. Like I was just taking was taking in their, their media day today for 905 and, you know, you had Champagne down there, Ron Harper, Christian Coloco, Gabe Brown, who the Raptors had uh, in for training camp, um, Jeff Down Jr. So there's there's a lot of guys. If you want to check it out, go ahead. Um, it's a it's a good product. Like I mentioned, it's probably the most accessible price point for for families to go catch professional basketball in the NBA, uh, in Toronto. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. Best of luck to uh, Coach Curry. So for us, we're gonna take a quick break. I'm your host William Lou. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, another interview, this time with Christian Coloco of the Toronto Raptors. Stay tuned. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sports Night Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu. For the second segment, I have the pleasure of catching up with Raptors rookie center Christian Coloco at practice on Sunday. Uh, we had first talked to Christian shortly after the draft, where we covered his journey from the Cameroon to the NBA. So for this one, I just really wanted to dive into his first month as a pro, which has been really eventful. So here's uh, Christian Coloco. Okay, we're down here at Raptors practice with Raptors rookie center Christian Coloco. Um, well, look, we were just talking about this, so we'll start here. Uh, Halloween on Monday, obviously, so you guys had team event, and of course, the tradition at team events uh, for the Raptors has always been to uh, make the rookies, you know, um, get up and perform. Yeah. So, Christian, what, what what happened last night? And um, yeah, they, they made you sing twice. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a nice party, nice Halloween party, uh, hosted by Pascal. You know, you just have all, all the all the the staff there, or all the players and you know they usually make the rookie sing and stuff so they made me me and Ron basically we sang twice because I didn't have my I didn't have any Halloween costume so I had to sing t- two uh, two songs but but it was fun it was fun of all so yeah so what did they make you sing did you know the songs at uh, least the first one I didn't know very well I know it was Justin Bieber and somebody else but I didn't I didn't know the song very well but the second one I kind of picked it myself uh, I sang um I want it that way Oh, back street, uh, back, back street, yeah, something, yeah. That song I knew better, so I signed that one. So yeah, wow. it was fun. Yeah. Nice. So the two of us both did karaoke last night. Okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, look, listen. So in the last month alone, right? You've been to Victoria, Edmonton, Montreal, Chicago, Miami, Brooklyn, Toronto, of course, Boston. You guys have played. Uh, you have played the two guys that uh, you have wanted to see the most in the NBA, and Joel Embiid and Katie. Kevin Durant. Uh, you set a record, by the way. I don't know if you knew this for the quickest career ejection, as well. <laughs> uh, so you're in the record books. By anybody or just a Raptor player? No, no. Apparently, every anybody. Uh, that's crazy. Third man. game. Okay. Um, so we'll cover all that. But I just want to ask you from the start, like, how's life been, man? It's been good. It's been good, man. It's been good. You know, uh, just starting my NBA career. You know. And just being with the team, you know, traveling, you know, experiencing the, you know, the the lifestyles as an NBA player, you know, travel, game, shoot around, practice, and you know, a lot of a lot of quick uh, turnaround. So you just gotta be ready, and you know, just me continue to, you know, get more experience, more get more adjusted, and getting more adjusted with my teammates as, as well. So it's it's been good. It's been good. What what's the bigger adjustment? Like, is it on court with the basketball, or is it off court with like everything else in life that comes with being like you know a, a very famous person? Now? Uh, I feel like it's, it's everything. It's everything else. It's basically it's more off court. You know, in college we play like two games a week when the season actually starts. So, but we are we are a lot of practice here. Here we got. I think I feel like we got more games than actual actual practice. To be honest, so you gotta take care of your body. You definitely gotta take care of your body. Know what you do. Like after after practice, like recovery. Do the court up. Do the hot up. Whatever, whatever you need, your you, your body needs you, you know, to recover basically. And on the court, is just I don't think is is I don't think the the court part part of it is a is a big adjustment. There's definitely a lot of adjustment I gotta make there, but I feel like there is just you know you just gotta take your time and you know learn from the the, the, the vets and you know take take everything the coaches tells you and just go out there and not trying to do too much. And I think you will be cool on on that on that side. Yeah, fair enough. Well, listen. Um... Nick has used you in every game so far, right? Which is kind of rare for a rookie, but, you know, I think he's mentioned quite a few times that he trusts you. You give a team a dimension that they don't necessarily have um, because everyone else on the team is, you know, a wing, essentially, right? So I I wanted to ask, like, what do you think you have done to earn Nick's trust this quickly in your career? 
Oh, I feel like, like I just said, you know, when I, every time he put me, he put me out there, I don't try to do too much. You know, I just try to do whatever he want me to do. You know, if he's, you know, play defense, you know, being there, uh, protecting the rim, you know, basically uh, talking to the guys on defense, you know, just lo- doing the, the little stuff, you know, just doing the little stuff. I always knew, like, that's something all my coaches, even in college, always told me, you know, if you want to be on, get on the court, you know, you got to do the, the little thing that um, other people are not willing to do. So that's what I'm trying to do, basically. And I feel like they kind of, all the coaches, they kind of see uh, everything, uh, uh, all the work I put in in practice every day, after practice, before practice. So I feel like that's how the, the trust comes, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you've rewarded that trust as well. I think really the only thing people could even nitpick so far is just fouling, right? Like, you've yeah. committed a lot of fouls. Right now you're at 17 fouls in 86 minutes. So you would have fouled out of, you know, a, lot, a few times. But, you know, when you look back on the film, like, are you noticing any patterns in terms of what those fouls are coming from? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's something I'm working on right now. You know, even even my first year in, my first year in college, that was some, one of, my, of the, big, uh, the big issue I had was fouling. And, you know, last year, which, which was my, my best year in college, you know, I kind of, I kind of like, you know, figured out how to get away with that. And that's how I really started playing my best basketball. And this year is the same thing. You know, I'm a rookie as well. So some of those fouls, you know, some, they know, sometimes like, man, I know you guys gave it to me because I'm a rookie. But most of them are actually actual fouls. You know, mm-hmm. I just got to be smarter. Some of them is just like unnecessary, like grabbing and stuff like that, you know, because the, the other guys, most of the time, like, they, they kind of like best. You know, I play against Joel. I play against Nikola Vucevic, you know, they, they're really smart, you know, yeah, they, they yeah. know how to get you in there, and Kyle Lowry, he got me with that, one of those two, and, you know, they, they are this smart, so you just got to be uh, smarter and just know how to, how, how to put your hands, basically. Yeah, and, you know, it's got to be nice, too, because, you know, what you said right there, right, because you're a rookie, you do get a couple extra foul calls on you. It's got to be a nice feeling that Nick has come to your defense. I don't know if you heard the post-game press conference. He's always talking about the fact that you're getting slapped with extra fouls because yeah. of that. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I feel, I feel like even, even in Summer League, I remember one uh, game in Summer League, he was just sitting courtside, and I feel like I, I was having a bad game. I don't remember. I think it was against Chicago. I started the game. Uh, I wasn't really feeling good, and I, I got back in the game, and they called offensive foul on me, and which I thought was an offensive foul, uh, offensive foul. And I just heard Nick, he was on the sideline, just <laughs> screaming at the refs, screaming for like three straight possessions. I was like, wow. wow. Like, I'm not even playing for him right now. He's already <laughs> screaming. So. It just feels good yeah. to, to know that your coach got your back. So, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, that's good. Well, listen, I got to – okay, so I got to ask you about the Caleb Martin incident as well. So, the, the fight. I mean, like, look, you've been asked about this, but I just wanted to ask you again. What happened? Was there any lead-up? Like, was there anything that happened before that play? Because we all saw, like, you guys were, like, whatever, boxing out, whatever, and no, grabbing I, each other. No, actually, like... I, I, was, I was surprised. But I actually saw a, uh, somebody posted a clip on Twitter or something after that, like, he was like, "This is probably uh, what led, what led to the to the, to the incident." And I saw everything that happened before. I, I didn't even realize that during the game. But when I watched the the video, I was like, "Oh, I didn't I didn't know like okay. we had those the, uh, that much of like you know uh, scuffles and like heat and stuff during yeah. the game." But but at that moment, I, know, I, I don't like I said I didn't know him like that. So yeah. I didn't know him like that. I just you know I just boxed out and I, I don't know. He just I don't know. He just grabbed me. Or I don't know what he was doing. And when I was, I was my on my way down, I was trying to grab grab his um, grab him basically not to because you're falling, to, you're falling yeah, over. I was, I was trying to grab him and I just feel like he kind of like took it in bad way. Like I was trying to slap him or something like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just didn't like the way he basically uh, turned around and looked at me when I was on ground right, and just right, stood up to right, me with right. his fist. Um, his, his fist basically closed, and I was, and I got up, and <laughs> what happened happened. But at the end of the yeah, day, yeah. you know, I wasn't just gonna let him like you know just look at me like that and just not not do anything, not stood up for myself. But but it's the past now. It's the past now. I just yeah. gotta learn from my mistake, and right now, you know. 
Well, I mean, I don't think you made any mistakes quite personally, but uh, but Caleb said that he reached out and he, he apologized. So what was that like? Yeah, he reached out to me. He reached out to me. He texted me. Uh, we, we, he just talking. Uh, he was, you know, the game was playing hard, com- being competitive, and, you know. Right, right. And I just told him, nah, don't worry about it, man. We, we good. Like, it's not, yeah, we're yeah. just playing basketball and some stuff like that happened, you know. Sometimes even in, in practice, you know, man, you're not going to fight, but some, like, some stuff like that happened. So yeah, we, we were just cool after that. It's not, not, nothing, nothing uh, crazy. That's good. That's good. Uh, had you ever been ejected before in your career, like in college or in uh, high school? Did I get ejected? I don't feel like I got ejected, but I got I got much of a technical foul. But no, ejected. Okay. I think that was my first ejection, to be honest. Well, Maybe was, I'm wrong, but I feel like this was my first ejection. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, even just you know speaking to you now, or even interviewing back in summer yeah. league through Zoom and stuff, it was just like you seem like a really even-tempered kind of guy, right? Yeah. So. It's a little strange. Well, uh, I think Masai also took a 35K fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was linked to this event as well. So, so you got Nick in your corner and you got yeah, Masai in your corner. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was linked to that too because I remember when I, when I got ejected, I, I got to the locker room and Masai came up to me. He was really mad. I was like, oh, fool, what's going on? And I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But, you know, I mean, it's just, like I said, it's just good to have to know that um, the staff and, you know, the, the, the big boss, basically, they all got your back. So it just makes you mm-hmm. more confident. Yeah, no, that's 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 dope. Well, listen, um, so we we also mentioned that you've already in like the span of a week you have played the two guys that you looked up to a lot, right? KD, obviously, you know, you're wearing the 35 right now. You're probably wearing the KDs on your feet right now. KD was asked about this, and he was like, "This is super dope." For your own experience playing against KD, what was that like? Yeah, it was crazy, man. I I, I switched on him. I think I feel like I switched on him twice, and he scored yep. both times. And he scored I, those two pull-ups both times. I was like, oh, wow, he's, he's real. He's real, man. It was, it was really nice, you know, just being out there and actually playing against him, man. You know, it's crazy. It's like, all of my friends from back home just text me after the game, like, man, he just played against your, your idol, yeah. basically. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's crazy just how, how far I came, man, you know, being here right now, you know. And I feel like it's just going to inspire more people back home. That, like I keep saying, like, anything is possible, man. Anything is possible. And, like, I started playing basketball. I was watching the Oklahoma City Thunder and then KD, Westbrook, and James Harden, you know, Serge Barker, all those guys. And yeah. now I'm playing against all those guys. So it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, no, I was going to say those two jumpers because, like, for you, I mean, you were up. There was no defensive breakdown or nothing. And you're seven foot one. Your standing reach probably, like, nine feet plus. And he 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 cashed both jumpers. Does that even ha- like does that happen to you regularly? For nah, guys to shoot over you like nah, that when you contesting nah, I, I like know, that? Most of the time, when guys shoot over me like that, like they can't see the they, rim. They, if you make it, it's gonna be a really tough shot. Like, but like for him, it was like casual. Like it was just somebody. Uh, yeah. Somebody was down there. Just he was just walking out basically. When he made that first one, I was like, Yeah, he's real. This is this this is <laughs> yeah. KD KD is real. Like no no, he's no he's no no TV thing, but he's real. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, he's tough, man. You know, there's nothing you can do really as a defender, um, as you, as you kind of saw there. But, um, he also got to play Joel as well, right? Um, unfortunately, he, he sat out the second game, but that first game playing against Joel, um, Man, he's he, he's also tough. Yeah, he's also really yeah, tough. Man. What'd you what you make of playing yeah, against Joel? That's a big Joel? deal, man. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, playing against Joel was amazing because I remember 2017. That was my first time, you know, leaving my country. I went to South Africa, and that was my first time actually seeing NBA players, NBA coaches, and Joel was there, you know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's a photo of you yeah, guys. I yeah, feel, I still remember that because um, I was with the Cameroonian delegation there, you know. We had, like, I think it was three, it was three boys and two girls from Cameroon. We went to the camp, you know, and Joel was there. So it was really nice playing against him, you know. 
And he, he during the game when I checked I checked in and he he looked at me he started like kind of laughing and he's like you can't go me man and I'm like come on man don't start that don't start that and we just started we both started laughing and you know even uh-huh. even after um, after the game we lost like when we were on the on the way back to the locker room and I saw him and he tapped on my shoulder and he was like and I was like man you heard how I was playing today and you, you you got scared you didn't want to play and he was like oh okay yeah, <laughs> yeah so it was it was it was amazing man you know Joel is one yeah. of the best center in the league uh, if not the best so you just want to look up to the, those type of guys and and want trying to get you to, to that level yeah it's dope well I mean it had to feel really good when you had that steal right he, he tried to he tried to post you up you po- you poked the steal and then took it end, end of the court I think one dribble yeah. for the dunk. No trouble on that play. Nah, there was definitely no trouble, man. One dribble from the there three was point no line from your I mean, own. You got you, you got know the rules. There was no trouble. I got oh, that's a, that's a I gather? got one dribble and I didn't have the ball in my hand. Then I do one big step and then I grab the ball. And, okay. And two steps. So it was definitely not a trouble. Okay. But it was a nice play, man. It was a nice play. But I, I just I was just looking behind me. As soon as I got the seat, I looked behind me. I'll see if he was gonna chase me up. And I saw yeah, him yeah. and I was like, man, there's no way he catch me. Like I'm gone. Like I'm gone yeah, right yeah. now. And after the thing, I was just like, yeah, it's, that's cool. That's really cool. Nice, nice. Well, I, I wanted to ask you just, you know, about sort of so far being a rookie. Obviously, you got to do a little singing, whatever, right? And probably other stuff, carrying a backpack or some other stuff. But, like, of the players on the team, there's a couple of vets. Who has been the most helpful in trying to get you to settle in? Who's been in your ear giving you advice? I'm sure everybody is a little bit. Anyone standing out, though? Man, honestly, all of them, you know. We got, we got like, a lot of vets. Like, they, they've been in the league for a long time. They know a lot, like, you know. Tired of be doing it, giving me a lot of advice on the court. You know, every time I checked out the game or check, I'm about to check in the game, just give me a lot of advice. You got Fred, you got Pascal, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you got Otto, you know, all those guys, man. They, they just, they just trying to, you know, make my adjustment easier. You know, they just give me a little bit of advice each, each, each of them on and off the court. So even Chris, you know, he's basically like a vet now too. So he's been in the league for a yeah. couple, a couple of years, you know, you know, and you know all those guys, they be really helpful. So I can't really say one of them in, in particular, but all of them, they they trying to help me for sure. Yeah, it's nice, man, because everyone's kind of looking yeah. after you and stuff. That's too. Um, I, I know the 905 season starting up as well. Nick kind of mentioned a little bit that like you know sometimes there'll be opportunities for you to go play 905, play like 35 minutes, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he's also using a lot in the rotation. What has he said anything specific to you about plans of maybe going down or anything like that? Or no? man, we haven't talked about it. I haven't talked to no uh, no coaches about playing 905 yet. But I, I saw mm-hmm. that I saw that too. So but I mean, I don't know. They know what's best for me. So whatever they tell me to do, I'm right. gonna do it. So. Uh, yeah, right now, like I said, I'm just I just want to do whatever the coaches want me to do to to, to have the team. So if they want me to go to the nine to five to get more experience, man, I'm gonna do it. So it's not for yeah. me right now. But I haven't talked to them about it. So right now the season starts. So I feel like they got bigger bigger things to worry about right now than just me sending me to the to the nine to five. But when the nine to five season gonna start, we are gonna see. But but right now I don't I have no idea. Fair enough. All right, last question. It's a bit of a weird one, but uh, what's been the weirdest part? Of being famous so far, the weirdest part of being famous. I mean, there's no weird part about it. It's just you know when you're walking in the street, like people are like, like you just hear people like some people are kind of scared, so you just hear them, you know, is that Christian Coloco? Like just just okay. talking to themselves right. or talking to their friend, and you just hear it and you act like it wasn't you, stuff like that. But <laughs> you're like, no, it's another seven yeah, foot. Yeah, just or you just turn around, and make they give them the look that no, it's not him, nah. So. But I don't think there's anything weird about it. It's just, you know, you just got to enjoy it, you know. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Christian. Uh, great start to the season so far. And, uh, yeah, best of luck. Keep, uh, keep doing your Thank thing. You. Right? Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. All right. That was my interview with uh, Raptors rookie Christian Coloco.
at uh, practice on Sunday. So um, before we go, turn attention to the game tonight. The Raptors taking on the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, this is the Between the Lines segment brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. So today's line, Raptors minus four. Uh, the over-under here is 223. To be honest, um, it's going to be a little bit hard to specifically figure out what to do on this one just because obviously Fred is being listed as questionable with the back issue. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if he did have a back issue against the Sixers as well because he was kind of moving uh, in a very labored way. Um, I, I know a lot has been made about the defense. Obviously, when you give up 44 to Tyrese Maxey, it's, it's going to bring up some conversations. But I, I think in general, you do need Fred's defense in this specific matchup against Atlanta. Trey is obviously very tough. DeJounte Murray is also quite tough. Obviously, the two of them combined together, and that, that dual backcourt has worked nicely for them. Uh, they're scoring like 50 points a game, basically, the two of them. So, I mean, you know, at the same time, it, the Atlanta is it, it's a weird team so far. So they haven't really played like the most quality of opposition uh, up until recently where they lost against Milwaukee Bucks, but they played Houston, Orlando, Charlotte, Detroit, and Detroit you know, right out of the gate. Those are not strong teams. So even though they're at a 4-2 record, I still don't fully know what to make of them. It's a little strange seeing the Hawks being 30th in three-point attempt rate. I think that probably will go up tonight as the Raptors look to trap Trey Young, which is usually what they do. So, you know, if Fred's in, I think I'm pretty comfortable with Raptors minus four and a half or minus four, but uh, I don't know. This is one of those ones where you have to see closer to tip-off. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the game total is, is pretty good. I think I probably take the over on that one. But uh, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Brett Rivers. It's a whole new game, and tomorrow uh, for us, we will have a whole new show. Alex may or may not be here, but, uh, you know, we will definitely cover the Raptors-Hawks uh, result. And, uh, yeah, look ahead. I mean, I think our goal with the show is always to bring you the most insight and the most uh, access. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed the two interviews today. So that does it for us today. I'm your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptors Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review. Uh, reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks again to Eric Curry and Christian Coloco. Thanks to our board producer, Derek Brandale and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. And I will be back tomorrow.